to not have the fans in the stadium was was just it was so hard work. There was no atmosphere. It was really odd. It was like a Sunday morning game. But the clip was Claudio Ranieri with the Premier League trophy above his head. Mm. The line which, unless someone had told me, I would never have known I said it, but I said, and on the big screen, we can see Claudio Jakob lifting the Premier League trophy. <laughs> 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 Clearly got the Albion still in line. So, the, yeah, as soon as I'd finished, someone told me, <laughs> constantly told me afterwards. Welcome back to the High Press. Um, it's season two, episode eighteen, for those kind of thing. And my name is Robert. Sitting to my left is Callum. How are you? Um, it will be great one day. It would be unbelievable one day if I was literally sitting to your left to record an episode, wouldn't it? One day, one day we can get that well, done. Yes. Well, also it might give a little bit of a hint as to uh, to to our guest. Um, both of us sitting here talking about mm. football. Mm. Well, let me tell you who it is then. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Well. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yes, so we have spoken to a gentleman named John Dunn, who mm. is a freelance commentator for a number of Premier League clubs. Uh, he's, he's been at Leicester. He's done some work for Man City and Arsenal as well. Yeah. Um, it's been it's been our goal, maybe should we say from from the start to obviously yeah. cover all aspects of football. And we've always wanted to get a commentator nailed down, uh, mm. and yes, upstepped John Dunn, uh, and <laughs> which was very good, very interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, very yeah. much. I mean, I have to admit, when he said he'd been in a number of Premier League clubs, he didn't mention West Brom, and then I thought, well, there's a bit of a Premier League pun to be had there, <laughs> isn't there for you? Uh, but yeah, we also yeah. did a, a bit for West Brom back in the day, so. <laughs> Uh, we'll slide that one in there, but yeah, great to chat with John. Um, never, never met with him before. Obviously, we spoke to him prior to recording, but uh, great guy, really, really great guy. And, and to mm, understand mm. the the not the pros and cons as such, but the you know what happens in in the build up to um, you know the games, yeah. the research that goes on. Um, you know, obviously the pros that he, he gets from that in terms of watching live football. Um, and of course, what it was like during COVID, really, and, and, and the lack of stadiums and supporters and how that, that impacted on, on his role. Well, what was what was some of the things that you took away from that episode? Um, well, it, it, like you said, it's just the, the behind the scenes sort of aspect of it. And, you know, because we, we only hear them for the, the 90 minutes of the game, we never... You never really get to know what goes on be, before and after that. So obviously, John lets us know about that. Um, yeah. yeah, and he tells us some of his football um, favorite football stadiums he's been in, some of his favorite mm. uh, commentary lines as well, and also telling us about uh, Claudio Jacob lifting the Premier League trophy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be a sight, wouldn't it? Yeah, Claudio, yeah. what a guy, what a guy. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's get straight into this episode with a freelance commentator. John Dunn. Uh, John, pleasure to have you with us uh, this evening or this morning, depending on when our guests are listening to this, of course. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for asking me. I know it took us a while to, to kind of get here, but yeah, real pleasure to, to meet you both and uh, kind of go through what I do, I suppose. 
No, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's good, a it's good. privilege for us, as uh, as it always is, to, to have a guest on and uh, a commentator today, Rob. Uh, mm. Good to have uh, someone from a slightly different field of guests that we've had before. Yes, well, you know, this is this is the uh, mantra of the high press, isn't it? To, to get a, <laughs> a whole mix of people, yeah. So, yeah, we, we've been after this one for a while. We have certainly have. So, uh, yeah, yeah, thank I'm you. Conscious for I'm conscious. I'm following Albion Media royalty as well with some of the guests you've had on. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> the bar has been set high. It's very kind of you yeah. to say. I think we're I think we're a few off royalty yet, but we're uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, so let's jump into our first segment, which is our quick fire round. Um, so for those who are new to us today, um, obviously welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us. Um, so this is going to be eleven quick fire questions called starting eleven that we're going to throw at John, um, and he will answer them as quickly as he can. They're completely random, um, really out there. Rob, you're responsible for the questions these days. So if anyone's got any complaints, <laughs> email us at high press at whatever our email is and we'll sort it out from there. <laughs> uh, but Rob, do you want to kick us, uh, kick us off with uh, with starting 11? Yes, those those complaints are go straight in the uh, recycle bin. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, uh, straight in. Uh, what team do you support, John? West Bromwich Albion. Easy Fantastic. one. Fantastic. Up the boys, Apolo- up the boys. Apologies, Rob. Even though you've uh, got bragging rights at the minute, so I can't really go anywhere with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for now. Uh, question two: Favorite artist or band? Uh, wow, depends on the day of the week. I think. Um, <laughs> in general, I probably don't go too far from home, so I'm, I'm in Manchester. So, Cortinas, No Gallagher, mm, yeah. Elbow, uh, Blossoms, Dubs, that kind of yeah, yeah, that type yeah. of genre. Yeah. In, India, I suppose. Yeah. Brilliant. Nice, nice. I like it. Uh, best individual performance you've ever seen from wow. a player, obviously. Um, yeah, not from Noel Gallagher. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably not one I've worked on, but I suppose the two that spring to mind, and there's a Man United link for some weird reason, but I remember Roy Keane, the Champions League semi-final, when he got booked, and he just made it his mission to get United to the final. The other one was David Beckham against, I want to say, Greece. He scored the last-minute free kick. Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah, that yeah. game in particular. He was absolutely everywhere on the pitch that day and then mm. kind of scored last minute. Um, and there's probably many more, like I say, that I've been at and then totally forgot. But those two kind of stand out straight away, maybe because they've been talked about so much over the years. Yeah, I, I also want to answer this question, Rob, if I can. And I want to say it's a really on. random one. Um, at the Hawthorns in 2018, we played Southampton, and Mario Lamina in the middle of the park played like Tiago. Mm. He was unbelievable. But like, that was one yeah. of the best individual performances I've ever seen. It stuck in my head for a long time. Very random, that one. <laughs> you, you know what? I was just thinking, what, what would I say if I was asked? And I can't remember. Um, I think it, if I had to go off the top of my head, it, I'd, I'd say... Tammy Abraham against Nottingham Forest when he scored four and we drew five yeah. five, but that was just just for the goals. I mean, yeah. If I had time to think, I would I would think of something really cool. Think about it, and next week we'll come back with it. an answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, brilliant. <laughs> well, on to uh, the next question. Uh, question four: What is your favourite football stadium? Uh, obviously, I'd have to say the Hawthorns, and then we'll get into working wise, and I'd have to say King Power Stadium. Um, yeah, I think other than that, I suppose coming at it from two angles, one one from the commentator view is probably the working environment. Yes, mm-hmm. first, yeah. First world problems is the food and things like that. So 
certainly I'd, I'd have to mention Leicester again because the food is great, great working environment, lots of room you can spread out. That's the biggest thing for us is kind of getting your nose in front of you and, and feeling like you can you can move around a little bit. Um, other ones are good. Manchester City's really good again, plenty of space. Mm. Um, but then being the football kind of traditionalist, love going to Goodison Park as a fan in terms of the atmosphere and that traditional yeah. ground. Working there is one of the worst grounds to work in Everton <laughs> uh, because it is so old and it's so small and it's tight. Um, but yeah, as a fan, probably Goodison Park. White Island is always a favourite. Um, mm. Yeah. Some good okay. stadiums. Yeah, good. Yeah, good mix of answers there. Uh, what is the worst film you've ever seen? Worst? Um, I saw one a couple of months ago, Fast and Furious 9. wasn't my decision oh. to watch it. It was my youngest son wanted to watch it. It mm. is the worst film. It's the most recent one I've probably seen, but it still stands up there as probably one of the worst. It was terrible. I can't <laughs> believe there's been a series of them. Apologies yeah, to yeah. any Fast and Furious fans. <laughs> that is a controversial comment. I'm not a big it's the, fan of a film. It's the only fan, one I've but... seen, but it was, it, was, yeah, it was terrible, in my opinion. I only like um, Tokyo Drift of, of the Fast and the Furious films. That's about it. It's only one I like. Anyway. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a bit of an awkward sentence. Yeah, great. So, it's the only, maybe the other eight were really good. I've only seen that once. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. When, when they started drifting off into space, I hope that's not a spoiler alert for anyone, but yeah, it, <laughs> it just kind of went a bit... A bit <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, question uh, six. What would the name of your autobiography be? Um, I suppose the easy option would be to link it into the surname. So, done and dusted, been there, done that. Um, There's probably (laughs) some even better ones than that if I had more time to think about it. (laughs) We'll we'll go with that. Particularly if it's maybe towards the end of my life, maybe done and dusted would would have a little bit bit of humour to it as well. I can imagine the the um, the image cover for your for your biography would be you at Goodison Park with the camera taking a photo <laughs> of your head behind you out as onto the pitch. I think that would be quite a nice a nice little image. <laughs> we'll go with that if they could fit the camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, um, probably quite generic, but just just kind of. Bad manners. If you you hold the door for someone or you let someone out, again, it's probably a really easy answer. But it's just things like that where yeah. you know people don't acknowledge something that you've done, and yeah, really, really frustrating. Mm. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I think my biggest pet peeve is probably the phrase "pet peeve." <laughs> I, I don't know what it means. I mean, obviously, I don't, the words "pet" and "peeve" together means. What are you annoyed about? I don't know. Maybe I'm going to I'm going to rename that question. I don't like it myself. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so we're, we're answering. We, we've the started answering today. the questions. Yeah, all right, sudden, I don't know what's going on here. Good collaboration. It's good. Oh yeah. Okay. Question eight: Where is the worst place that you could get stuck? Oh, probably Goodison Park, based on the first few points. <laughs> um, again, obvious answer is a lift or somewhere kind of small and compact and dark and, yeah. Sorry, I don't feel mm. like I'm over a lift fluid, but yeah, lift is a <laughs> straight away. Yeah, a lift is a common answer, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine, yeah. Fair enough. Um, what is your favourite sauce? Sauce? Um, yeah. 
Oh, again, depend, depends what's on the plate in front of you. This could go in all yeah. kinds of directions. I do prefer mayonnaise with chips, which might be controversial, but that's not good for me. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe garlic mayonnaise if you really fancy. Um, mm. And then if you've got a great plate, the fish and chips, you've got to have tartar sauce along with the mayonnaise just to really mix. Obviously not together, that, that's just crazy. It's but, yeah. a horrendous combination. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, question 10. Have you ever bumped into a celebrity? Immediate thought is straight to footballers, but I'm not sure if that, that counts in, in this, this one. Um, the one I was gutted about, and it's probably like Z-list celebrity. We're in the Trafford Centre again, kind of close to where I am. And my wife spotted the uh, the Manchester family, the dad from the Manchester family from Gogglebox. Who I like okay. Oh, yeah. Legend. And yeah, so... I don't know if you came as a celebrity, but good, I couldn't just kind of say, I don't know, or even just stare at him. Um, <laughs> yeah, mainly. The only ones that come to me are footballers, which which feels a bit of a cheat, bearing in mind you, you kind of are a mix of yeah. on a semi-regular sure. basis. Who, who would you say is the, probably the most high-profile footballer that you've maybe had a conversation with or been in, in close oh. contact with? See, they'll go down the Albion route now and... Some of the like Bob Taylor interviewing Bob Taylor when I was a bit younger was like starstruck yeah. and trying to stay professional and sure. not say the wrong thing at the wrong time. The, I suppose the best one, the interview was after the Crystal Palace game. Then we got promoted in the yeah. tunnel. Um, but it's probably one of the last interviews he did that day. But yeah, and I've just kind of finished it with you know from all the Albion supporters, Bob, thank you so much. Which was probably really unprofessional, but. Yeah, kind of one thing that sticks into my head. So I've probably gone down the Albion route, but yeah, Bob Taylor, absolutely. Great, really good. Sorry, that's Rob. Nice. No, no, that's that's okay. That's, I feel like you might be apologising to Rob a lot at this rate, but it, you know what? He's not a sensitive soul, bless him. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, God. Right, anyway, let's, let's get this over with. Question 11. Uh, <laughs> every week, every week, <laughs> every week, it's back again. Uh, what is the type of milk that you use? Should we say that? What is color cap? What's color the color cap? Milk? cap yeah, color lid, green, whatever. Green all day. I think it's always been green. Yeah, for me. Yeah. throughout. Good. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we've had some quite normal and sane guests on lately, by the fact that a lot of people have said green. Mm, most of them being green. Yeah. Maybe we need to do our research on guests. Um, in the future, based off their milk choices. How? How? How do you do research? It's doable. Everyone's on LinkedIn these days, aren't we? When we first ask them, do you want to do the pod also? <laughs> Can you tell us about what milk you like? <laughs> and then and they re we reject them on the milk. If they say green, no, that's too normal for us. So <laughs> yeah, we've got too many green. Third him down. <laughs> I don't, don't care if your name's Harry Kane. You like green milk. <laughs> off you go. Off your pop. Right. Anyway, let's <laughs> let's stop talking about milk. Goodness oh, me. Dear. Make a whole episode about it. Um let's let's go over to the high press quiz. Now, um, let me explain how the famous high press quiz works. So I'm gonna ask John in just a moment to choose a colour, and depending on the colour that he chooses will depend on the category of questions that both him and Rob will answer questions on. Um, as uh, most of our listeners will know now, the blue category has been rinsed and therefore um, been removed for selection, which is the general knowledge uh, section, yeah. if you want to call it that. So we're left with three colours, and the categories are Premier League, World Stage, and Football Throwback. So, John, I'm going to ask you to choose a colour between red, yellow, and green, please. Which is difficult, because it's 
three different variations of away kits we have over the years. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go yellow based on it being the, the current away kit. Great, yellow. So yellow um, is Premier League. So we're back to the Premier League again. So oh, that's, that's a good category to choose, I feel. It's a good category to choose. Um, so, John, we'll start with your five questions first, and then we'll okay. head over to Rob for his five questions. Uh, question one. Ex-USA international Landon Donovan had two brief loan spells with which Premier League club? Everton was one, which I think was the last one. Um... It's, it's it's one club. So uh, which oh, sorry, Premier League two. club? Yeah, so one club, yeah. two loan spells Everton. at one club. Everton right. is the there correct answer. There we go. Okay. Happy days. One out of one. Can't get better than that, really. Question two. Which players shared the Premier League golden boot at the end of the 18-19 season? And I will give you a small clue in that it's three players. Yeah. Oof. So which players shared the Premier League golden boot at the end of the 18-19 season? I'm trying to think if that was the season Jamie Vardy won it. It was definitely Salah, Kane... I'll go Vardy. Is that the season? Incorrect. So it's actually Abamyang, Mane, and Salah. Oh, one mm. out of three. Terrible. <clears throat> uh, so one out of two there. Uh, another one about goals. Uh, Mo Salah broke the record for the most goals scored in a single Premier League campaign in the 17 18 season. But in that season, how many goals did he score? Tough um, question. Yeah, total guess, I'll go 20, <clears throat> 26. Incorrect, it was 32. Jesus, okay. He's good, isn't he? Extraordinary. He's not bad, is he, that man? <laughs> yeah. He's not bad at all. <laughs> not bad at all. Uh, one out of three. Question four. In which year was the English Premier League formed? Um, 92? Correct, yeah, bang on. Yeah. 92 is the correct one. Um, and your last question to get three out of five, which would be a perfectly good score. I'll take it. Is, in 1997, which player was the first to score a hat-trick of headers in the Premier League? Now, I know Solomon Rondon did it for West Brom and he was the next player to beat it, or equal it, should I say, rather, but there was a record set before that in 97. And I remember at the time his name got mentioned. I mean, I'll have a clue. Is it striker or defender? Uh, it is a striker. It is a striker. Is it? Oh, jeez. 97. I'll say Shearer, total guess. Is that, I don't think. Incorrect right is Duncan Ferguson. Oh, of course oh, it is, yes. Big dunk. There's a definite Everton link so far. Yeah, definitely mm. there really is. Isn't <laughs> uh, so two out of five, that's not a bad score. That's not oh, a bad score it. at all. Just outside it's... the relegation zone. Yeah, yeah, I think you're enough to survive on that one. Mm. Right then, Rob, are you ready for your five questions? Yeah, play, playing along, I also got two. I got uh, a got salary with well. 32 and I got a 1992. Okay. Oh, so you so. would have got the same score, doesn't really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, first question, Rob. Yeah. The SAS led Blackburn to the Premier League title in which season? Now, SAS, of course, stands for Shearer. I thought you were going to ask Sutton. me. Yeah, I thought you could ask me who it was. Oh, what year 
They won the Premier League. So what year Blackburn won the Premier League? Or what season, should I say? Is it like 1994? So you're going to go 93, 94? No, you're going to go 94, 95? 94, 95. Correct, yep. Oh, okay. On the head, yeah. on the head. One nice. out of one so far. Uh, yeah. Question two. Um, that's an old question, so we're going to get rid of that <laughs> and put it to the back. Um, question two. Which Italian forward scored a hat-trick on his Premier League debut? Oh, which Italian forward scored a hat trick on his Premier League debut? <laughs> Can I have a slight clue? Or is that not allowed? Um, he's Italian. He's a striker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's a striker. Though. He scores he scored goals. A hat trick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyone? Like... Graziano Pella. It's not a bad show, that, actually. Um, it's actually Fabrizio Ravanelli. I can't say that's a name I recognise from my generation. No, no. See, I'm showing my age. That's the one I would have got, that one. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Okay. Who did he play for? Yeah. Middlesbrough. Ah, OK. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. Right. Question three. Yeah. Which team holds the record for the worst defence of the Premier League title? So, for instance, finishing... Obviously, winning the league one season and the next season, then finishing in a poor position. So, I'm looking for the team that holds the worst record for the defence of the Premier League title. Oh, dear. Uh... I'm going to say, didn't they? Did they come about? I'm going to say Chelsea. Incorrect. It's actually the top that I'm wearing and the oh, our guests yeah. who commentates on them, Leicester City. They uh, finished twelfth yeah. after finishing the league title. Chelsea oh. would have been my next guest though, definitely. Yeah. Um so that is what question number was that for you? Was that four or was it three? I think it was three, wasn't it? Is that three? Yeah. Yeah. Question four. Um, who scored the goal for Manchester City to reach one hundred points in the in a Premier League season? Oh, we should you have are. had your questions, Rob. <laughs> I, I, I know this one. I know this. I think I know this one. I might be wrong. Wrong. Is it... Uh, oh. Oh. It's between two again. And any time it's between two, it's always the other one. I say. No, you've been doing well on that lately. You have been doing well on that. I'm thinking either Mara's a company. I'm going to say Mara's. Both are incorrect. It was actually uh, Gabriel Jesus. And I think if I'm right in recalling, it was away at Southampton. Yeah. yeah. It was just a 1-0, one, one wasn't it? I think they won very late yeah. on the scored a very late goal to, to get the, okay. uh, the 100 points. Yeah. Um, so then your last question, Rob, is... To tie it. Uh, yeah, this is for the tie, yeah, correct. Mm. Um, when Cuco Martina scored against Arsenal in 2016. He became the first representative of which national team to score in the Premier League? I knew it was this. Uh... <laughs> it's a great question, that is. That is one of my favourite uh, questions. Is it Caracal? 
<laughs> it really is. It's cool. You've got that bang on. Yeah. Right. So oh, dear, we don't man. normally have a tie break, but because we have, I'll ask a Go question on. and the first person to shout out the correct answer will win the quiz for today. Now, let me just uh, bear with me, uh, our, our audience, while we get a good, <laughs> tasty question. I feel like Rob won on away goals with the answer style last one, but we'll still have a tiebreaker. Well, that was impressive. Yeah. Right then, here we go. Uh, First person to say the correct answer is the winner of the quiz. Harry Kane won the Premier League Golden Boot in 2015-16 and 2016-17. Who was the last English footballer to win it before that? Just shout out your answer. Alan Shearer. Rooney. Both incorrect. Sheringham. Jamie Incorrect. Incorrect. Jermaine Defoe. Incorrect. Andy Carroll. (laughs) Not Andy Carroll. (laughs) Emil Esky. No. (laughs) Uh, Michael Owen. Incorrect. Incorrect. Teddy Sheringham. Isn't he Welsh, Robbie Fowler? No, sorry, I'm thinking of uh, Robbie Savage. <laughs> sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> he was at Cardiff for a period. I will let you off with that. Come on, gents. Come on. This isn't. This isn't. Yeah, too this difficult. is a shocker. Uh, yeah. Uh... Clue? Any club? Um, I feel like that will give it away. I feel like that okay. will give it away. Yeah, what I will say why, is why this, would it give it away? This, this, that out. this person is now retired. Frank Lampard. <laughs> Incorrect. Just, and, just think Andy, all Andy time. Andy Cole. No, think all time English great goal scorers. Gary Lineker. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one left. That's it. Uh... <laughs> Come on. Am I going to have to Ian ask another question? Ian Wright. Incorrect. Oh. Would you like the answer to this one and I'll give you another question? Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Okay. The answer was Kevin Phillips of Sunderland oh. in 1999, 2000. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Super Kev. Super Kev. He was, Super he, Kev was, eh? he was a player, wasn't he? Right. Well, we'll have to go on to for West Brom or Villa. So, yeah. No. I think he was at, was he at Leicester for a point as well? He was. He was, he was yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was, he was. Right. Mm. Now, first person again to get the answer got. We've never had a second <laughs> tie-break question. Um, which player scored the quickest goal in Premier League history in April 2019 after just 7.7 seconds? Is it uh, Shane Long? Ledley King. <laughs> it uh, is Shane Long. It's Shane yeah. Long, yeah. Correct. Oh, dear. Rob, you've stole it. <laughs> well done. Stole it away. It was, wasn't it Ledley King before that, though? I think it was. I, think, I remember him scoring, yeah, yeah. You know what? I, Has it been I'll, broken I'll, I'll since that, that or not? I feel like it might have been broken since. Has it been broken? I know that was it, wasn't it? Was that it? Okay. It's so yeah. random that it's Shane Long. I mean, I love the fact that it's Shane Long, but it's yeah. very yeah. random. Um, anyway, let's get well, there we into... Go. <laughs> uh, that was a great quiz, oh. by the way. I thoroughly enjoyed we'll it. Have, we'll have some questions I can answer now. so let's get into uh our 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 questions for our guests today uh but before we jump into that uh, john do you want to explain a little bit about yourself and what you do yeah for for the purpose of the podcast uh i suppose freelance commentator um started in 97 was my first game which was with west brom so i was with west brom from 97 in terms of commentary up until 2015 um and i've had a season hiatus not through choice and then 
through a friend of a friend, really, kind of were approached by Leicester at the start of the season we had in the quiz, which is the one after they won the league. Mm. Um, kind of been there ever since, really. Then other bits around the side, so do some work with Man City, do some work with Arsenal for their underage teams. Right, very good. Mm. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, so let's let's start from the beginning then. So how did you first get interested in football? In football? Um, I don't think there was any one particular moment. I always thought it was a bit of a late developer. I was kind of seven, eight before I really got into football. Up until that point, I was never really interested. And then kind of went from almost black to white, where I was then just obsessed with it, just to go to as many games as possible, which was difficult. In Manchester-based, growing up as a West Brom fan, which was through my dad, who was born close to the ground and kind of one of them things you just inherit, as my lads have as well. Um, yeah, just really weird. You just then become obsessed with it. Anything Back then, there wasn't much uh, football on TV, so you kind of taping everything that you did see. Very rare you'd see anything to do with West Brom, so that was always a big thing if you saw anything in, in the northwest. Um, and yeah, just kind of gone, gone from there, really, to the point where it's just like life-consuming now, particularly with doing the work that I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're good, good. Um, yeah, so then getting uh, getting into the commentary, um, how just how did you get into it then initially? How did that start for you? Yeah, really, really long story. Tell me if I'm kind of boring or if it's going off. So it kind of no, starts. No. From, <laughs> Go ahead. In a in a weird way, it kind of starts in the late eighties, which I know I don't look that old. Um, so back in the late eighties, eighty seven, eighty eight, kind of around that time, there's a chap called Chris Billingham, absolute gent of a bloke, no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, so Chris took it on himself. He obviously contacted the club, West Brom. Um, it was him and one camera, and he filmed all the games. He would sell match tapes, VHS, if anyone remembers what they are. Um, <laughs> at the end of the season and at Christmas, he would do like a compilation, which would be kind of his biggest, bigger earner. So towards the end of that 87-88 season, uh, was my brother approached him, bearing in mind he would have been about 13, 14 at the time, and said, can I start doing your commentary for you? So for Albion fans of an age, they will remember this kind of squeaky teenage voice doing some commentaries. This season after that, so 88-89, I started to tag along and I started doing uh, like replays through the executive box and the corporate area. So I was kind of in charge of getting the replays out. A couple of seasons after that, I said, can I start doing some camera work and going behind the goal? So Chris had a spare camera, so he set me up with that. And at that point, that's kind of where I wanted to go with my career. I wanted to get into to camera work and things like that. Fast forward, did that for however long, through the 80s or the rest of the 80s into the 90s. Then 97, my brother had continued commentating. There was a few other people doing it when he couldn't. Um, and the first game of that season was West Brom against Tramier. Uh, didn't have a commentator. I said, well, I'll have a go. And just kind of went from there, really. So for that season, I was flipping between commentary and, and camera work. Um, and then as the season ticked by, I started to do more and more with it. Uh, West Brom got promoted in 2002. To, well, 2002. Yep. Chris then sadly kind of lost his work with the club, which is a real shame at the time. Um, the club brought a, another company in to do it. Really good that I was then approached. Do you want to carry on kind of doing what you're doing, but do it with the club? So that carried on with this kind of production company for a few years. And then I moved across to Albion Radio, I think, because it was at the time to working with Dave Bowler, which a lot of people know. Um mm. And that saw it through until 20, whatever I said before, 2014, which is when that, that kind of came to a bit of a sad end at the time, but in a weird way, worked out really well in terms of them linking up with Leicester. So, yeah, there's a kind of plotted history at the start and, and kind of where we've got to. Great. And, and I think it's important to say that I don't think, 
in my opinion, I think being a commentator, you you are you are telling a story. I think for football, and I think it's not an easy role. I think a lot of people could you know criticise commentators for you know maybe not being you know um, excited enough in a certain moment or not accurately describing a moment as, as it should be. I, I do think it is a, a tough role and, and, you know, obviously we appreciate people like yourself who, who do that. So off the back of that, what would you say maybe some of the key attributes are to, to being a commentator? How, you know, what do you need in terms of qualities to be able to be a good commentator in your opinion? Um, I think what you said there is, is sometimes it's just having the context of, of that game. Um, you know, what is the story? If team A wins, what does that mean? If team if teammate loses, what does that mean? And then within the game, there's other different stories. If somebody scores, it's a certain landmark, or if they win, it's six on the bounce, and mm. that might be a club record. So it's trying to, it's, I suppose it all boils down to that prep and making sure you've you've covered all bases on the players, on the big picture of the game, what it means in that particular competition. Um, and I think then you look at the commentators you, you kind of admire and who you grew up listening to, and you probably pick their best bits and, Sometimes it's just keeping it really simple and trying to not overcomplicate things or think about what yep. if he scores, what's the line going to be? And sometimes it's better just to be natural, and that hopefully comes across better than trying to script something that can maybe then come across a little bit too, yeah, too cliche or a bit a bit cringe mm. if it doesn't quite sit right. But it's it's definitely a fine balance. Um, yeah. Mm. Right, and, and obviously, that's... sorry, go on, Rob. So I was going to say, and um, you know, some of the most iconic you know, lines of commentary are often the ones, you know, sort of... Off the bat. You know, yeah, yeah, just, you know, mm. coming to mind like uh, Aguero, you know, when he, he scored, obviously, yeah. the, the, the last-minute winner and things like that. Um, and even just simple things, but, you know, just because it's off the cuff and, you know, it's a reaction to, to what's going on, yeah. Mm. Well, even the Aguero one, the way Martin Tyler just leaves that pause, it just, and then I think he leaves it for what feels like, probably ages in his head because he feels like he's yeah. going to talk and then the line, yeah. drink it in, it's, whatever, it's just... He's just hit the nail, on. and you, yeah, you can't possibly yeah. script that. No, just, no. That's what yeah, exactly. For, yeah. for me, it was probably more Barry Davis. I know, I'm, again, I'm showing my age, but he had just some some brilliant lines. He kept it so simple and mm. and yeah, just really simplistic. But some of the lines, the, the hockey one from the Olympics again, maybe not one you've heard, but where was the German defense? Quite frankly, who cares? Um, <laughs> there's the again, you got even before my time. There's the one just look at his face, which gets played over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the Maradona one, you've got to say that's brilliant when he scored the second one. Some really iconic lines. Um, mm. I, I, I was going to say of the modern era, Martin Tyler is very much the um, uh, the go-to man for a special line. You know, always you know the Aguero one gets all the you know the attention. Uh, the one that always sticks with me as well is uh, when Martial came on against Liverpool and and scored. Um, again, just completely not scripted, and you can almost feel the emotion through his voice, can't you? Yeah, the other one, again, probably because I grew up, Clive Tilsley was kind of the Granada yeah. commentator, which is where I so grew up with him. But again, the one when Rooney scores, remember the name. Again, yeah. you yeah, don't yeah. know the time where that's going to go. He's probably said that 10 times before, but this is the one that pitches right and it can get played, you know, 20, 30, 40 years' time because he, he became what he did. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So um, talk us through, um, obviously, you know, your, your role is mainly um, weekend-based. Um, so... Talk us about a little bit more about the the technical side of your role. So, obviously, first of all, is it a, is it a full time position? And uh, in, I know you mentioned earlier about sort of working different clubs, but and, and are you contracted to those clubs in particular, or would you sort of class yourself as as almost freelance a little bit? Yeah, yeah, totally freelance. I suppose in terms of my work balance, um, 
I've got what I'll call a proper job working for the van and someone said the other week. Um, <laughs> so that that's quite time consuming. So um, I'm a commercial manager for a company that does temporary site accommodation for building sites, quite a well-known name. Um, but I've got a small team of kind of salespeople that I'm looking after. So that can be quite engrossing at times and, and kind of take you all over the country. Um, but yeah, just uh, just balancing that between football work, very patient, you might be listening, very patient wife who puts up with me kind of disappearing some nights to, to go and do prep and to disappear on a weekend to go and do the games. Um, so yeah, the, the main the main club is, is Leicester, so it's all of their, say all of their, there's three of us on a rotor for their first team. Mm-hmm. So that's radio commentary, which again works really well because it, it means you're not working every weekend and you, you have got time to do other things or to, to have some family time. Uh, first couple of seasons working with them, it was probably more games. There was one or two of us on a rotor, so there was more games there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, radio commentary for their first team, kind of assist where needed on their under-23s and some of their women's games. Um, second to that is probably Manchester City. So, again, mainly their underage teams have done a couple of things for the first team, but they're under twenty three, so they try and stream as many of those games live on their own uh, and a TV app, TV channel that they've got. Um, and then I've done it for years and years. Is with Arsenal, their under-18s, under-23s, and kind of breaking the magic of TV a little bit. So their under-18s will play on a Saturday morning. I'll get a YouTube clip sent to me um, Saturday night, and I'll put a voice over it on the Sunday morning, and it goes on their website. Oh, okay. So, yeah, done that for years, because that goes to a production company in Manchester. Years ago, I used to go in there on a Monday morning, do the commentary, and then come away, but we've kind of progressed it over the years and now it's um, kind of a Sunday morning or a Saturday night job to put that together. So those are the three main clubs that I'm working with. Um, then on the off chance, I might cover a game for West Brom just with still knowing people there if someone's off or on holiday or something like that. I'll kind of sure. get call. So yeah, plenty to juggle. So I'm just going to ask with, you mentioned there a lot of your um, <clears throat> recordings will happen after the game normally. Um, so for instance, Leicester, obviously in Europe at the moment, you would never go to follow them away, for instance, and do a commentary there. Is that something that you would do or not? No, we have done. Um, so the last two seasons, obviously not with the pandemic, we've, we've not been able to, to travel. Um, so again, mm. kind of breaking the, the mirror of TV and the magic behind it. So yeah, we do the away commentaries at King Power Stadium. We get feed that comes back into the stadium um, and we do it from there. Uh, but previously, so the first year I was with Leicester, they were in the Champions League. Um, yep. and we were travelling there to do the games doing some stuff pre-match and, and then oh, okay. presenting and commentating in, in, inside the stadium um, so yeah other than the Arsenal stuff which is kind of done the day after uh, everything else is, is kind of within the stadium uh, yep. the only difference last season with the pandemic was the Manchester City stuff they were able to send the feed through to where I was at home they didn't want people and inside the stadium do it live from home yeah, yeah but Absolutely. all the Leicester stuff where possible is within the ground okay so uh, talk to us then, sort of the run-up to a match. So what preparation are you doing before the game and what goes into any notes that you're, you're making? Um, so I suppose it depends a little bit on who's playing. So I suppose one bonus of doing the same club on a regular basis is that you've got the, ba- the, the base of the research on that club. So Leicester, is, you're just tweaking little bits for every game because the initial bit is, is kind of always the same in terms of things I'll look at. Is where, so for the away team... I know where a player signed from, how long he's been at that particular club. Um, then you might look at, obviously, goals he scored this season. Is he in a particular run, three three goals in five games, things like that. Again, that context around the game and kind of where that player's at at that time. You're looking at 
Um, so you might have Jamie Vardy playing against uh, Chelsea. So you'll look at Vardy against Chelsea. What kind of record has he got there? So you can get into that. Yeah. Brendan Rodgers' record against Chelsea. Obviously looking if someone has played for a team that they're playing against. Um, so Johnny Evans, you know, against West Brom, you might just do a little bit. He had three years at West Brom, played so many games. Um, so you're building that up on all the players, knowing that you'll probably use 60, 70% of some of the, the stats that you do. Um, but you just want to make sure you're fully prepared that you've kind of got something for every every occasion. If it's a bit of a dull game, you know you can just refer to a note and you can kind of keep keep filling the air and keeping people interested. Then you're doing the game as a whole, so you're looking at head-to-head stats, um, maybe what happened earlier that season or the season before. Um, then you go into the individual team, so again, the curriculum that they're on, maybe look at home form for the home team, away form for the away team. And you're just doing lots, as much reading as you can, kind of in the build-up, looking at various different websites, previews for the game, and there'll just be a little nugget of something that you can kind of take and, and use that you can then drop in at some point during the game, depending kind of what's going on. Um, so, yeah, on a match day, I'll have kind of two lists of the two sets of players, as many of the reserves as you think are going to play. There's always a bit of a curveball and someone will appear who you've not prepped for, but again, you've got time before the game to kind of do that. Mm. And then you'll just have kind of head-to-head Information on the home team, information on the away team, bits on the referee. Again, you're just trying to cover all bases and think of any scenario that might happen that you think, well, if there's a controversial incident, can I link the referee to an incident for the same team, you know, two or three seasons ago? Um, Mm. So, yeah, overall, it might be, say, a Leicester game, it's probably a Thursday night and a Friday night, maybe three, four hours per night ready for the game, say, on a Saturday at at three o'clock. but you're always getting there in good time. Again, you can just have another refresh. You can check maybe what's in the match program and things like that. Uh, the biggest the biggest task is if you're doing two teams and you've not done at all. So that'll probably almost be ticking off during the week. You know, each night again, because of the day job, you're kind of coming in, having tea and then jumping on that ready for the game at the weekend. Yeah. Did you enjoy that side of the game about doing the the research of it? Because you're always learning something, I guess, aren't you, as, as you're researching, if that makes sense? Yeah, I suppose if there's a lot of games going on, it, it can be quite, I suppose, monotonous. You're just trying to troll through, but you know mm. if you've not got it on the match day, you're going to get caught out because you've got nothing mm. to refer back to or you can't, again, you can't tell that story because you've not got something on a player who scores. You're just saying he scored, but you're not backing up with anything that kind of goes with it. Um, sure. And I think we're all the same. You're always looking for that nugget that you can drop in that maybe someone else hasn't noticed. But at the same time, there's no point dropping something in for the sake of it. You've got to make sure it's within the, the context yeah. what is happening. Yeah, sometimes you've got a great start, but you just can't use it because it just doesn't fit with anything other than crowbarring it in. Mm, yeah. Do you, do, you ever, do you ever mention or, or pick up anything? Um, so, for instance, if a player's maybe done some off the pitch or a bit of like transfer speculation or just try and keep it more kind of uh, official and professional? Um, I think in, particularly, in, you say? particularly when you're working for a club like with Leicester or previously with, with West Brom, you would be very straight down the line. You wouldn't veer off into, you know, such a body mm. being linked or maybe a player who was linked a few years ago. You might not go down that route in particular. Um, so, yeah, when you're working for a club, it's very, not that anyone's ever told me, it's just the kind of thought process of you got to keep it simple you're working for the club you've got to say what the club would say or or not say what the club would yeah. say I suppose yeah, yeah you, you, you've got to think you know what would they appreciate me saying and, and not saying as well 
yeah, yeah. yeah. and <laughs> likewise interviews you know you'll you'll get stick on social media why didn't you ask him this why didn't you ask him that well mm. i'd like to keep my job ideally so i'm not going to ask him why he's not playing <laughs> such a body or why yeah. are we rubbish or um so yeah, again yeah. You're just following that, that line it's the right thing to do yeah mm. for sure um so do you usually work on your own or do you have um, a co-commentator uh, alongside you? Um, and, and if you are on your own, how do you, how do you find working alone versus working with someone? Yeah, always better working with someone. So with Leicester, it's mainly Jerry Taggart, Matt Elliott, and the two Leicester legends. They've been great. They've been, Jerry in particular, almost from day one working with Leicester, he's kind of been that continuous person. Then Matt joined a few years later, but Matt was working with Radio Leicester. So again, I kind of knew him and, um, it was easy enough to start working with him. So, yeah, just great because you can just throw a question. It it, it fills the air. If you need to do, do some notes or double-check something, they can just keep talking and, and tell people what's going on. Um, and it just adds that um, that knowledge, I suppose. People will always listen to someone who's played the game. They'll, they'll go with their opinion over mine. You know, they don't know who I am from Adam. Um, so that's the, tr- the tricky bit when you're on your own. Yeah, I would find it impossible to do that pundit role. It's too totally. People think that they're kind of interchangeable and interlinkable, but a, a pundit will say, oh, I could never do the commentary. And likewise, I could never sit in the, the pundit's chair and kind of offer opinion or analysis on what's happened. I think it's mm. the golden rule, and Jerry said it a few times, you tell them what's happened, I'll tell them why it's happened. Um, yeah. And, and it's great listening oh, to that. He said to me before, there'll be someone running down the wing, and because he can listen to me knowing what's going on, he's looking inside the penalty area. So he's already seen mm-hmm. the movements that are taking place and who should be marking who. And if mm-hmm. somebody does score, he'll probably know who they've, they've kind of got beyond to, to score. Um, so it's definitely that. I'll say what's going on. You tell them kind of how it happened or why it happened and bits like that. But yeah, miles better working with someone um, than, than kind of been on your own. A question or a curveball question that I'm going to throw in is obviously quite, particularly on big games, you know, you look at Sky and BT and stuff, there is always a minimum of two commentators, sometimes even three. obviously the the role which you just explained what you do is basically you're telling people what's happening and then your colleague will tell them how it's happened does that ever could you ever see yourself sort of working opposite to that so someone basically explaining what's happened and then you giving a little bit more of a depth analysis could you ever imagine yourself in that particular role or is that something that you would never sort of venture into yeah, it just feels alien to me trying to do that analysis bit. I'm, I'm really comfortable in just going, he's done this and crossed it and he's he's done that with it. And then someone just coming in and giving it that, well, this has happened because mm. all of these things kind of kind of interlinked. Um, yeah, definitely I'll, I'll stick to the commentary. I did try it once. Uh, it was a pre-season friendly for West Brom at Crew. Uh, it was myself and Scott Field at the time. Scott was now with Team GB, with the FA, but started out with, with the Albion. I think we tried to do a half each, but yeah, I, I struggled. Could, couldn't I kind of never do that again. Um, yeah. And then during the time with Albion, a couple of games with Chris Brunt, um, Steve Lillwall going back again before your guys' time. Steve was yeah. then kind of early 90s. Um, I'll still claim I gave Adrian Charles his kind of footballing break. He probably wouldn't agree with me. But it, going back <laughs> again, when would that have been? Kind of first promotion, early 2000s. He was on a programme mm. called Working Lunch. I don't even know I was watching it. Uh, and he mentioned West Brom a few times. This was before he, he was on, you know, big stage TV. So I dropped to an email and said, you're a West Brom fan. We do the, the commentary, the club videos. Do you want to kind of come along? Um, fair play. Email back. And he was there the next Saturday. I think we beat Forest 3-0. Uh, uh-huh. um, so, yeah. 
and fair play to him. If I ever see him at the game, he always kind of acknowledges me and we have a bit of a chat. So, yeah, I, I still think I gave him his break. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember uh, I remember working lunch. Yeah, and um, I, was, I was about to say, oh, I remember it used to be on lunch times on telly. Well, obviously, working yeah, lunch. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that, Rob. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for anyway. clarifying. Um, yeah, thank you. Cheers, Jeff. Um, yeah, so, so we, we mentioned a bit before about where you're based when you're commentating. Um, but so, so, how did the pandemic then change how you operated? And I mean, how did you find if you had to go into grants, how did you find having to keep to all the procedures and, and whatnot? Yeah, it's really straight. So as soon as Project Restart kicked in, uh, Leicester was straight into, you know, you're coming back into the grounds, you, you're going to go to away grounds. Um, mm. You've got a, a wad of paper about 100 pages thick in terms of what the rules and regulations were. Um, so, yeah, it was a matter of, God, there wasn't any test. Obviously, it was masks wherever you went. You weren't able to go into the kind of areas where there was food and drink. It was straight up to your point. So it was weird at Leicester. We moved into... We were kind of sat in front of an executive box. We were kind of taken away from the press box, which is where we normally sit because they wanted to, to distance everyone as, as much as possible. Um, so we were kind of sat a little bit further back. But yeah, it was a case of getting get to your point and you kind of sit there for however long, whether that's two or three hours before kickoff. There was nowhere else to go. Um, and away grounds was the same. You, you kind of um, you got your check on your way in. You wore a mask wherever you went to, and you just got straight to your point. No matter what the weather was doing or wherever you were sat, you, you just kind of went straight there. Um, the plus point going back to Goodison Park at the start, they had to kind of move you around, so you were sat up in the stands, and there's more room to move about. And so yeah, you didn't have the, the kind of tight squeeze of the Goodison Park press box. Um, biggest change was Manchester City, as I mentioned before. So all of their games before, I would go to the stadium. Uh, or the Academy Stadium where the U23s play, they set up a system that they could beam the, the live feed back to me at home and I could dial in and do the commentary from home, um, mm. which is good initially. It's a bit of a quirk when you can kind of go and make a cup of tea at half-time or I nearly missed the second half of the game <laughs> once because I was sorting the clothes out on the radiator and realised I was going to And come full, come full time, again, you're back downstairs and job done uh, as opposed to kind of travelling back. Um the plus point, I suppose, going to grounds was you could park right next to the ground. You could leave at all almost at full time and you weren't fighting through the traffic. Um, but to not have the fans in the stadium was was just, it was so hard work. There was no atmosphere. It was really odd. It was like a Sunday morning game. They'd still have mm. the big build up. The music would be blaring out and the, trum the drums would be going. And all of a sudden there was just this silence and then people shouting. Um, so, yeah, it was so good to have the, the supporters back. And again, you just pick up. You might you might look down and make a note, but the fans will make you kind of look up again because you yeah. didn't have that. You were still making a note, and, and all of a sudden something's gone on. And yeah, so mm. much, much better having them back in. Two questions I've got linked to um, the um, the supporters not being in stadiums is first of all, did you feel a certain sense of responsibility to almost drive the atmosphere a little bit from your commentary um, without the lack of fans? And my second question linked to the lack of fans is. Um, how do I say? Obviously, with with supporters in, with not being in stadiums, you lose that match day feel a little bit, don't you? Um, mm. What is the? Um, what am I trying to say here? Sort of because obviously you're trying to drive that from from a commentary perspective, um, but in in terms of what am I trying to say? Almost like the the, the surroundings 
Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm being completely honest. I think could have been. So <laughs> certainly in terms of that, trying to yeah, trying to stay switched, which is difficult to stay switched on because it's almost like a pre-season friendly where yeah. it's difficult to, to get mm. yourself going. There's certainly times where we'll say to each other, you know, we're so lucky to be here. And we might say on the commentary sometimes, like, you know, we know this is a real privileged position. We were still able to, to come to games. So mm. I remember one game, um, I think it was at Wolves, it was freezing. It was minus, I don't know, it felt like minus 10 we were freezing. And everyone was kind of in the press box, kind of, God, it's cold. It's cold. And someone said, look, we're all lucky to be here. Yeah, you know, absolutely. 20,000 people want to be sat here. They'd be quite happily, you know, freezing the watches off. So again, it, mm. that reminder of, we were in a lucky position at the time where we were still able to get to games. We were watching them live. And yeah, there was a responsibility, particularly when you're working for a particular club, knowing that they're the supporters, the Leicester fans are listening in. You, you know, you've got to get them on side and, and kind of make them feel like they're with you, I suppose, and explaining what's going on in the stadium and kind of normal sights that they would see. It's um, making sure they're still kind of getting them as the game's going on, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the point I was going to make actually was about the obviously with no f- fans in stadiums, it was obviously quite a quiet environment. When I was yeah. watching games on the on the TV, as we all were, I'm sure uh, during during uh, COVID, we would I, I would personally enjoy the pitch side experience. You're able to hear what players are saying, what managers mm, yeah, are saying, yeah. almost that that type of um, atmosphere. Did you? Although obviously we all want fans in stadiums, and we're so glad it's back. Mm. Did you enjoy that sort of? hearing what's happening pitch side and those conversations and that dialogue that was happening down yeah. on the pitch and pitch side. Definitely, yeah. That was another kind of minor plus point. Um, you kind of just take one of your headphones off a little bit because that would always kind of drown out the noise. You'd maybe just take one off and you could listen. Particularly if yeah. you're close to the dugout, you can hear what's going on. Um, a couple of players, I won't name names, but yeah, absolutely foul-mouthed. And some, of the <laughs> was, some of them surprised they didn't get yellow cards. One referee in particular took an absolute verbal bashing and, and just brushed it off yeah. like it maybe it does happen it every week. Um, yeah, so it was interesting to, to hear the, the full sights and sounds of what, of what goes on. Sure. Yeah, so uh, how do you... How do you find having to talk off and on for for ninety minutes? Um, even you know if you if you are joined by a partner, you obviously you're not going to talk straight for ninety minutes. But how do you find you know g- going the distance? I suppose it's just something I've got used to. Um, again, it probably goes back to having the prep, so that you know if you kind of come into a bit of a brick wall and there's not a lot going on in the game, that you can refer back to something, so it, it kind of keeps it keeps it going. Um, but particularly radio commentary, you, you can't have the silence. You've just got to keep going, you know, conscious mm. that someone might be listening that, that isn't watching it on the TV at the same time. So you've mm. got to keep keep them interested. Um, but yeah, like I said, I probably just got used to it and kind of got used to that that, that rhythm and, and the time. Sometimes 45 minutes will fly by if it's a decent game. Well, you know, it, the, the game's done. Sometimes, yeah, it's not the best of games and you are thinking, Christ, I'm running out of things to say here and you're throwing all kinds of questions to your co-commentator and he's never running out of things to say. But um, <laughs> yeah, we've managed to get through just about. Yeah. And and what is what would you say, uh, looking from a bit of a more reflective period now, what is the favourite game that you've watched and, and obviously commentated on? Is there a particular reason why you've enjoyed that game, whether it be a piece of uh, commentary that you've provided that you look back on with fond memories or whether it was just the game itself? Um, I suppose in terms of games, and again, it's only when you start reflecting it, kind of lucky you've been, particularly as a West Brom fan, doing the 2-0 win against Palace, that, that first promotion. Mm. Um, the game at QPR when we lifted the Championship trophy, I never thought I'd say it's 
lived the trophy in our lifetime. Um, <laughs> co- couple of games at Wembley, although they didn't end particularly well. But again, just the privilege of kind of doing it from behind the scenes. I think the one stands out, 5-5, five, five, uh, the United yeah. game. Just doing that one with Albion Radio. Um, just just a weird and amazing few days. Obviously, speaking to Dave, who was doing the programme, and he had to do a, you know, a 600-page programme in, in about a week, and people were buying boxes of them at, at 12 o'clock as they went on sale. That's just a mad, crazy day. Um, and then with Leicester, um, it was their first Champions League game in Bruce. Really, really lucky enough to be there. Not a Leicester fan, but still felt really privileged and something mm. I look back mm. on. Really fond of that, that was kind of there. Um so I probably not answered the question there because I'll give you about six different answers. But <laughs> and it's just reflecting on all those kind of occasions and games you've involved yeah. in that um, you can kind of look back on and think, yeah, doing okay. Yeah. yeah. Um and and obviously I mentioned it right at the very start about how difficult commentary can be. Linked to that, are there any commentators? I know you mentioned a couple there that you you grew up listening to. Are there any commentators that, aside from the ones that you mentioned, that you quite admire um, and that you you almost try and learn from a little bit? I know it's difficult to learn from someone else's voice, essentially, but to try and take on a few different things and implement in your own commentary. Yeah, I think the ones I mentioned again because you're probably more more wary of it when you're younger and you're more in tune and you're listening to things. So certainly, like I say, Clive Tilsley doing that Granada region, Ali Manu still does a bit of a match of the day, uh, works for Man City, I've kind of I've met up with a few times. So they were kind of the voices of, of my youth, I suppose. Um, I mentioned Barry Davis, John Watson, again, people of my era, those almost the only two commentators that were about, maybe Brian Moore yeah. as well, because there was so less football on, on TV. Mm. You mentioned Martin Tyler, who's kind of been the voice of the Premier League for however long um, I like Rob Orthorn. Um and again you yeah. see him a lot in the Midlands he used to do a lot of West Brom games kind of during his, his earlier days um, Daniel Mann who's on Sky quite like him again they're all commentators you can't keep it quite quite simple you know mm. they don't kind of go um, yeah I don't think they script lines it's just natural what they do but see, yeah, I suppose I'm listing off names of the ones that you kind of when you hear their name is on it's like oh yeah you know I kind of like listening to him um, I quite like we, the the current championship commentators. I, I don't know them by name, but the ones the Sky Championship commentators. There's two commentators, and I, you can just feel the emotion when they're going through I the think, game. I think one of them is Daniel Mann. He tends to do a lot. It of, might be Daniel the, Mann. Um, yeah, championship games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's really good. But really? yeah, I think you just you just take the best bits of the people you kind of listen to. I like that. Or yeah, there might be certain styles that they're doing. You think I'll, I'll try and bring that in and into the next game that I do. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I've, uh, I've not heard the championship. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, do you have any um, like sort of future aspirations then? You'd say either, you know, sticking in commentary or, you know, do you have any other sort of plans you would, you know, you would, you would like to do in sport as well? Um. I think in terms of the football side, we'd like to do, not something I've done yet, is, is kind of reporting rather than commentating. We'd love to try mm. my hand mm. at that at some point. Again, totally different skill. Something... Would that be like, um, like in, in print or, or like on, on no, a, sorry, you know, so, writing? Yeah, like radio. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So like, yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to say for these companies, but like you talk sports, you five lives, you Sky, mm. you talk Saturday, that, that kind of reporting yeah. of the game and kind of saying what's going on. Again, totally yeah. different style. Um but yeah, something I'd, I'd love to have a go at. Likewise, presenting. Been done a little bit with Leicester in my early days with Leicester, kind of 
uh, presenting the, the pre-match program, did a little bit a few years ago when someone was, was off with, with illness. Um, and again, really enjoyed it. So yeah, we'd, we'd love to do a bit more of that. I think in terms of other sports, there's probably not one that is he's on the same level as football where I'd, I'd want to get into. Um, I, did, I did once, I think, a rugby league. It was a commentary, but again, I was sent the clip and almost given the lines of what to say. But um, yeah, that was kind of my only foray into another sport. Um, but yeah, love the commentary. I'm certainly not looking to, to not do that, but it would be nice to do all the bits around it. Again, kind of time time permitting with other pressures and whatever else. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, so Rob, I, I insist. I insist no, my go friend. on. Go on. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was just, just going to ask what um, what your your favourite, your personal, maybe your favourite mm. commentary line from from a moment, if you can recall, of course. And then I know we discussed it earlier, but what would your your favourite commentary line be from someone who you know one of the bigger names, for instance? I know you mentioned Clive Tilsley earlier, and, and a few of the other ones. My problem is my memory is so bad that I can't. I'm, <laughs> And maybe I've done that many games, you kind of forget. The one, and it's only because he gets played so much at Leicester, um, it's a James Madison goal against Watford. And it was one as it happened where you thought, that might sound all right. Most of the time when a goal goes in, in your head, it's just all over the place. Yeah. And it's like, what do I say? What do I say? But you end up coming out with something that makes a bit of sense. You listen to the back and you think, yeah, that sounded better. Now I'm listening to it than he did at the time when you're kind of looking at your stat, right, what can I say? What's the story? Um, but on that one, even a few people afterwards said, oh, that's a good line, that's a good line. Um, mm. Still gets played on the big screen before the game. So, yeah, that was maybe the one that, that I keep saying to people when they mention it. I think I got that one right for once. It's took me, I don't know how many years, <laughs> 20-something years. Um, so I, then in, I suppose I might have mentioned them, like the Barry Davis lines, the Aguero lines, things like that. Mm. Barry Davis, you know, there's so many he's got. But yeah, look, look at his face. The, he's Gascoigne going to have a crack, he is, you know. Um, what was it the one we mentioned before for Barry Davis uh, the Maradona one again just yeah. just yeah. just sums it up in three words it's just such a, an amazing skill to do um, yeah fantastic I think with, with any line and any commentator podcast I've listened to or interview no one is ever happy with what they've said even like the Watford game I mentioned yeah. even when I listen to it there's two or three things I would just do slightly different to make it in my head would be better Mm. But yeah, whenever you listen to some context, but they've never done the perfect game. They've never called the perfect goal. They would always just change, even when someone says, what about that one? No, because I, I wish I hadn't have said that or I wish I'd let the gap. Yeah. You mentioned Watford there and it reminds me of the, the Deeney goal, of course, against Leicester in the, in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. that was, uh, I'm not sure which commentator that was. I think it was one that commonly does the championship or certainly back in the day, but that was another, that's another highlight moment in my head. I know when we're playing FIFA occasionally, Rob, that occasionally comes out in our games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It? Here's Hargadini. Yeah. <laughs> a big moment. Yeah, yeah no, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a big one. That's a big one. Um, so yeah, last, uh, last question, uh, our, our usual last question. Do you have any funny stories or moments uh, from your time within, football itself or within commentary I think the ones that stick in red are ones where I said the wrong thing and someone tells you or well, I'm looking forward to this now <laughs> <laughs> the, one, the one that sticks in my head which gives you a West Brom link to, again must be one of my early Leicester games before the match they're playing out you know things on the big screen different videos so I, I think the, well the clip was Claudio Ranieri with the Premier League trophy above his head mm. 
the line which, unless someone had told me, I would never have known I said it, but I said, and on the big screen, we can see Claudio Jakob lifting the Premier League. <laughs> 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 Clearly got the Albion still in mind. So, yeah, as soon as I'd finished, someone told me, constantly told me afterwards. Um, <laughs> there's probably more exactly like that. One recently, which, again, I got reminded throughout the whole of last season. I'm blaming, even though I didn't have COVID at the time, I'll blame COVID, but it was a... <laughs> Make sure I get this right now. It was a Sunday night game, Leicester at home. I've wrote a few notes for when they come over to me to start presenting. For whatever reason, first line is, I've said something about Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Saturday Night Live at King Power Stadium. And I've, I must have said Saturday three times. And then the producer coming in here, John, it's Sunday. <laughs> oh, so every game I've turned up to ever since, like, you know, if it's a Saturday, hey, John, how was your Friday going? Or... John, it's Monday, or yeah, so that's kind of been reminded ever since. <laughs> Again, just where that came from, no idea. Couldn't even try to explain it. Um, again, there's probably more than that. You try and maybe forget them. Other ones, <laughs> um, sorry, Rob, it was at Villa Park, but it was with West Brom. We were having loads of problems getting so the ISDN kit is what connects us to, to the world, mm. I suppose. Most commentators have those for whatever reason. Ours just wouldn't work at Villa Park, whether there was something in the system or they just didn't like us, I'm not sure. So we got to the point, we're about to kick off. All we've got is, is a Nokia 6310, which was used to get text messages that fans were sending in. It's all we had. So we dialed up the ISDN number on that, and basically me and, me and Dave um, contained oh, wow. on that for 90 minutes, passing wow. the phone to He couldn't hear what I was asking him, and I'd just hand him the phone. Uh, <laughs> and then it happened again, maybe, oh, maybe 10, 15 years later, I was covering some Walsall games. Um, and it was at Scunthorpe, same thing again. Could not get it to work. So it was Mick, Mick Cairns, who's a, an absolute Walsall legend, was a co-commentator. Same again, it's like, Mick, we're just going to have to make this up as we go along, passing the phone to each other. I ain't got a clue what he's saying. He doesn't know what I've asked him, and we uh, <laughs> kind of cobbled it together. Brilliant. Oh, that's some good stories. I, I, there's always a funny moment with commentators, and there was always that. I'd, I always enjoy a, a commentator or commentary team that always bounce off each other. I think from the mm. from the listener's point of view, it's um it's always it's always good to hear that. But yeah, like uh, you know, some some of the moments I've listened to as as an Albion fan have been through your voice or from from my perspective. Thank you for obviously you know sharing the excitement with me and and, and you know in, no. in those in those moments. <laughs> as an Albion fan it, yourself, I suppose it's quite it, easy. It kind of makes you feel old, but it's quite nice at the same time. The Albion will put old clips on of you know, the '90s or whatever. Yeah, yeah. In my voice, and you'll see the comments underneath going that. That, that was the voice of my youth and it's like yeah I feel really old now but at least <laughs> it's nice to be recognised I suppose in a weird way yeah of course and, and obviously it's people who recognise your voice rather than rather than your face as well isn't it yeah which is always better face for radio <laughs> <laughs> I think the only time well and it, I must say it was my mate Nick who gave it away we were at Cork for a pre-season friendly yeah um, we were at the back we were talking and then Nick said something about yeah it's on the kicking commentator and this bloke turned and he went I knew I'd recognise that voice so whether he's making up I'm not sure <laughs> brilliant well uh, I think that's all of our questions John to be honest so um, listen thank you so much for coming on it's great to to have an insight as to what a commentator's mm. role looks like really really yeah. intriguing and of course Rob uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it as well so um, yeah great yeah, thanks for coming on and we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon John pleasure good to meet you both thank you cheers mate thank cheers. you Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the High Press Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we really appreciate a rating on iTunes just so that people can find us more easily. 
Yeah, and make sure you follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Our handle is at the High Press Pod. This is where we announce all of our guests, run competitions, and keep you informed with everything happening on the High